Welcome to Scenario D, the podcast that takes you behind the magic by giving you the facts and a whole lot of feels. I'm Curbs. And I'm Lish. And this week, we're swinging into adventure with a frying pan, golden hair, and a magic flower to discuss Tangled, Disney's ultimate romantic comedy. So grab your frog. Um, chameleon? Nuance. And settle in as we get tangled up in all the details of this unforgettable fairy tale remix. Okay, Curbs, I was so excited to start prepping for Tangled because mm-hmm. I actually have the art book for this movie. So yes. I was like, I have the book. I'm ready. Mm-hmm. I dive in, and what do I see on like page two? Oh, Legendary Disney story man, Joe Grant. <laughs> Joe Grant! <laughs> Like, is he just, like, stalking me at this point? I don't even. Uh, He's like the Marley Brothers in, uh, what is that, Christmas Carol with the chains that are like, you're Scrooge. And he's just following you around, condemning you to a life of loneliness and unhappiness, I guess. That is so funny. Oh, man. I, like, couldn't. And I'm going to guess that it didn't make you any more interested in taking the time (laughs) Google him. It's just more. like it's just gone. It's gone too far at this point, you know. Like I just, no need, I back. feel like I need to stand my ground. I just, you know. I, I love you have this like personal vendetta against a man you will probably never meet and who doesn't care. Oh, I'm pretty exist. sure he's dead. What? Seriously? I think isn't he? I think so. Is he? I, he was like he was like alive with Walt. Like he's got to be like super old. Wait, or... are you sure he was alive with Walt? Yes. I this is honestly this is I I'm checking this right now. I'm not going to tell you anything else about him. But he Yes, oh, I, he did yes, die. He, oh. Yeah. Okay. Rest in peace, Joe. Like <laughs> died at the age of 96 <laughs> in 2005. Okay, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to Joe, uh yeah, to like, you he for was not like believing you. Really old when oh, this man. like when Tangled was being made. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Sorry. That was my bad. Well, well, I mean, he would have died at the beginning of production of this film because he died in 2005. Yeah. This film came out in 2010. Yeah. So, wow. What and a whirlwind still, we've already gone He made on. his way into the Tangled <laughs> art made, book. He made his mark. Wasn't even alive for the production. Man, can't wait till we do a Joe Grant only episode. You know, it's Seriously. there's going to be Katzenberg blunders and Joe Grant, the man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> Those are going to be our two... <laughs> Our two uh, tribute episodes <laughs> yeah, uh, for this to. season. So, Tangled. Tangled. I know mm-hmm. that you love this one. Oh, do I ever? Yes. I think I know the answer, but this was this one an instant love for you? Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yes. So, like, I, like so many millennials, I think you fell into this camp as well. We lost faith in Disney animation mm-hmm. oh, in yeah. the 2000s, right? Like, I don't know how many times I need to mention Home on the Range with distaste in my voice for people to get that I wish it would just go away forever and like never exist. But movies Mm -hmm. like that, just I kind of fell off the wagon with Disney. I got bored. I didn't didn't like the music. I didn't like the stories. I didn't like the characters. I didn't like the animation. I didn't like anything. And then Princess and the Frog happened. And my interest just peaked. But as we discussed last week, I didn't actually watch it right when it came out. Like that one was a slow burn. I was a late bloomer. But this Mm -hmm. one, when it came out, I remember my mom was like, this looks like it'd be really good. Like, we should go and see it. So my mom, my younger brother, and myself, we all went to see it in theaters. And I was enraptured from the first second. Like, I didn't even realize that this was what my heart and my soul had been missing from Mm -hmm. Disney. And this is the first movie that I illegally downloaded. (gasps) My first torrent. Baby's first torrent was Tangled because I could not wait for it to come out for me to watch it again. Just had to have it. Yeah, no, this this movie was an immediate love for me. The music, the way it looked, the characters, the voice acting, the, like the story, everything about it worked for me mm-hmm. and really just like, yeah. it's like my heart grew four sizes that day. It was just such a lovely Aww. theater experience. I know. I can't, I can't overstate it. It made me feel hopeful again that like this company and these mm-hmm. movies that I loved for so long was actually still capable of creating stuff that I would love and cherish. Yeah. 
for right? sure. So it definitely had like a similar feeling for me, but not I wasn't quite there yet. I mm. did go see it in theaters. Um, I saw it with my little cousin. So it was like, okay, I'm going with the kid. So, you know, I can go see a Disney movie, even (laughs) though I secretly want to go see a Disney movie. Um, You're one of those. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But, uh, but yeah, we, we saw it and I really liked it, but I wasn't like back on the Disney train after this movie. Really? It wasn't until a few years later when Brave came out that I was. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Disney at the time. I really don't have much to add for this because we covered it in Princess and the Frog. This one came out just shortly after that one. Mm-hmm. Bob Iger is, you know, King Bob. He was just <laughs> taking names and being awesome. And mm. the Disney drama was cooled down. As you said before, Bob was keeping it 100. Just really. Yeah. yeah. I love Bob. Thank you, Bob. We love you, Bob. Always and forever. XOXO. Can we also do an episode on Bob? Oh, yeah. We're doing a whole series on Bob, okay? I I just need all the Bob Iger content. All of it. So as uh, as Joe Grant, my man, confirmed, Walt actually started working on this story of Rapunzel in the 1940s, kind of similar 40s. to like what happened with Beauty and the Beast, where it was like something that they had talked about doing as, you know, they did for a lot of fairy tales, but it never mm-hmm. quite got off the ground. They really wanted to take a well-known fairy tale, but make it fresh, exciting, and new. And so Mm -hmm. I think that they are really drawn to the familiarity and the images with this one, where you've got a girl with really long hair, very iconic. You've got the tower. There's a lot of like familiarity to this fairy tale, but then to be Mm -hmm. able to add some modern zest to it, I think had a really big appeal and it actually became a feature idea again in the 1990s thanks to one of our favorite animators Glenn Keane love you Glenn so it was something that really appealed to him and was really high on his to-do list but he got a little distracted with Tarzan and other (laughs) renaissance films in the 90s so it was kind of pushed to the back burner for him and we'll forgive him for that because those movies he worked on were all fantastic like tarzan if tarzan's the reason we had to wait a decade for tangled i will take the wait because tarzan is a plus oh honestly i'm glad that we waited for tangled because Mm -hmm. it kind of seemed like it was in rough shape in in glenn's hands to be honest but the one thing that he did say that i really like is saying that it needs to be a sincere fairy tale or i won't do it because there was some conversations when it resumed development in 2002 trying to make it more satirical and they wanted to kind of have a movie that oh. you know maybe makes fun of the fairy tale in a way and i think that they right. they found the right elements of that more with frozen <gasps> i don't think yes. that they were ready you know, with Hans and all of that. I don't think that they were ready to do that. Yeah, with Tangled. Yeah. Even even with Kristoff and Anna in the sled when he's like, you're marrying mm-hmm. a guy you just met and like that whole conversation, that's what made yeah. everyone fall in love with them as characters and with the franchise is because they're like, oh, wow, they're like poking fun at this thing that makes no sense. Yeah, that would have been weird to have Entangled with based on what we know about the film now. That would have felt mm-hmm. really Yeah, and, and Glenn was really the one that was like it, it needs to be the classic Disney feel and have that to mm-hmm. it or like, I don't want to do it. So, right. Yes. So with Glenn working through this in the early 2000s, it was slated for a mid 2000s release of 2007, but mm-hmm. 2006 is the year when they bought Pixar and then John Lasseter right. and Ed Catmull okay. took the reins. And because of that, they actually wanted to push the release back because looking at it, they were like, this isn't nowhere near ready. And so I think that was a smart decision and it fit very much with the cultural changes that Disney was looking to make and bringing in the guys from Pixar where really making story a priority was very important. And it's just like all of that kind of stuff really saved this because it was probably going to be bad. The the 2007 version was probably not going to be great. Could it be as bad as Lions? Elton at a piano and some sketchy lions. Oh, man. Oh, man. Rest in peace, lions. What I thought was interesting. So Lassiter gave uh, Glenn Keane the choice 
of doing CG or traditional 2D animation. And mm-hmm. I was quite surprised to hear that because Keen, I would not have suspected, would have picked CG. This is like while True. Princess and the Frog is going on and they've got, you know, 2Ds kind of, I mean, they're trying to make a comeback with it. But he very specifically wanted to do CG, which I that really yeah. thought was really interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, he strikes me as as if I know him personally. Glenn is this type of person. But no, he strikes me as the type of artist and animator who would be excited by a challenge. And, mm-hmm, you know, if he was to look at the leadership team at Disney Animation and go, okay, now we have these guys like John and Ed who know what they're doing in the CG space, maybe that was the change of leadership that gave him confidence as an animator and as a creative leader to go, okay, like, let's go all in on this then. Like, Mm -hmm. let's actually do this for real and not the Disney way that we've been doing it with, you know, things like Chicken Little and Bolt. Like, there's a very distinct difference between the animation in those early 2000s films and Tangled. Like, Tangled is up many, many, many notches from those. So I wonder if maybe that was it. Mm -hmm. And I I think a big part of it, too, is that Like, I always think of Tangled as Disney's first CG movie, even though, like you just said, it definitely Mm -hmm. wasn't. But it was the first CG movie where they were returning to their Disney roots. Like, they weren't trying to be Pixar or trying to be something else. They were meshing everything that they could learn from that studio and the technology with something that was very classic Disney. So they really Mm -hmm. found a really good balance in this film and it was the first time this is the first princess in cg and the first fairy tale classic sad to say after several years of development and a lot of struggles with both the artistic look and how the story was progressing glenn was suffering a health setback and things just like weren't really meshing for him with this project so he stepped back from directing and to just focus on the animation and we were talking about this before Mm. i didn't actually know all of this history with Glenn and that this was like his pet project and all of that right. which you were like come on Lish like <laughs> I just it's funny that you own the art book for years and years never opened oh, yeah. it though haven't read it kind of bums me out that like he made a you know charge at directing this and it just didn't really work but um, right. he you know was able to come back on like an animation capacity and mm-hmm. you know I think it's for the better of the film so we now have new directors, Nathan Greno and Byron Howard. They're both just coming right. off of Bolt. Um, uh, Greno was the head of story and Howard was the director. So while Bolt is, I haven't seen it. I think you said it was mediocre at best. Not our yes. fave. Um, no. Still like at least bringing some director, directing CG experience to the movie. So like there at least, you know, we've got a a film under our belt here. And I would like to point out that Byron Howard at the time of making Tangled had a great head of hair. So I mean, a story about hair. Makes sense. Telling you guys, look, look him up. 2010 Howard hair, the best. Looked great. Wow. I'm going to look that up for sure. But you know, I just love hair. So I, I'm a little biased, but I did. This is one of Curbs' interesting facts that isn't really that interesting, like Sean Yu being one of the first ones to ride a horse. <laughs> Howard had this great hair. This one's slightly better, I'll say. But anyway, <laughs> they came in and they, similar to Glenn, like had a very same passion for uh, Walt's fairy tales back in the day and wanting to bring that magic but modernize it and make it hip so that was really at the forefront of what they were coming into from a directing standpoint well and we can understand when we look at katzenberg's rising success with dreamworks animation a mm-hmm. lot of their animated films at the time like i'm thinking specifically of a film like rotel dorado which is very very hip i'm putting big Mm -hmm. quotation marks around hip, but like that whole plot line like the bromance element of it the type of humor it had like Mm -hmm. the kind of all the innuendo that was in that that movie is chock full of sexual innuendo it is wild when you watch it as an adult but like they're going up against you know this type of animation and storytelling which people are responding Mm -hmm. really positively to so for that that idea of making it feel like a fairy tale, feel modern and hip, it's made even more urgent by the fact that, like, you know, their their arch nemesis, Jeffrey Katzenberg, is killing it K-Bird. with more 
with more adult like fairy tales quote unquote if you want to call mm-hmm. it fairy tales yeah. but like that type of thing so it's a it's a steep ask like they're entering some unknown territory there for sure definitely and if you look at what pixar is doing as well they're trying to find like where disney fits in this new yes. space where there's mm-hmm. more variety of animated films coming out they look different they feel different there's you know humor they're for adults as well as children so they kind of took the film over from Glenn. They found the current version to um, have some really beautiful elements, but it was very dark overall, not just in like the theming, but the look and the feel of it. And I think the main concern with that was it's a dark story. So if you take a dark story and then make the art direction also very dark, you're going to just end up with a potentially scary or like more gloomy type of film so they really wanted to contrast the darkness of the story with very light colors and like honestly if I just think of Tangled in my head I think of that like bright green grass and the bright purple dress and it's just all very bright and vibrant and that's really the look and feel that they were going for with this Mm -hmm. even just the fact that the symbol of the movie is like the sun like a golden mm-hmm. yeah, shining sure. beacon. Yeah. Color shape language. They drew from a few things on this. Mary Blair's work on Cinderella, which we both absolutely love. Of was course. Really, really huge for this movie. A lot of the curves, it's not super obvious in Cinderella until you're like looking for it, but everything stylistically is very curvature and there's a lot of circles and roundness to it. And it's very similar and tangled. Like you said, all of the suns and the lanterns and everything, there's not a lot of sharp edges. Another big inspiration was the thick beamed buildings from Pinocchio. So Pinocchio was oh Pinocchio, another uh, film that they were trying to draw some artistic flair from. And mm-hmm. I think what was really cool for this movie is they're, they usually do a research trip to like a country or to, you know, a certain state or something that, you know, would be the setting for the film. And for this one, they actually went to Disneyland several times to kind of scout out mm. what fantasy land was looking like. And to me, oh. that actually makes all kinds of sense because when they're designing fantasy land in Disney, they're having to do a similar task in that. They are taking a 2D world and making it three-dimensional. And that's what these guys had to do as well. So to actually go somewhere where you can see, like, here's what they did with Pinocchio's Village. And you can actually see what that looks like in a three-dimensional space really helped Mm -hmm. them to make them clear artistic decisions early on that really helped steer things in a good direction for these guys. Very smart. A lot of the animators were super excited with what you could do with CG in terms of the flexibility and the way that you can adjust things. This was very new for a lot of them. Someone like Glenn coming in from the 2D universe, he was just like, wow, you can you can really see things before you make decisions. With 2D animation, you've got your blank page and you're drawing it and what you draw, that's what it is. Whereas right. with CG, you're more about building the assets and then you animate them in a certain way, but you can change the camera, you can change the lighting, you can have a Mm -hmm. different viewpoint and you can move that all around much more freely and you have a lot more creative freedom there. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought it was really interesting uh, in the book I was talking about, uh, Glenn mentions that he was so excited to show Ollie Johnson, one of, you know, Walt's nine old men all these like technical advancements and he's like see look what you can do and you can change this and this and he was all excited about it and uh ollie was uh just like uh glenn what i was wondering is what is she thinking so he's very much like (laughs) bring it back to the character and reminding him you know what's really important here all these like gadgets and stuff are really cool but what this is really about is the character so mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit more about yeah. the story. Like we know now kind of the back and forth between 2D and 3D. We know that Glenn was in the director's seat and then said, nah, B, I better not. Um, but mm-hmm. the story also went through quite a lot of work, which isn't a surprise when, again, we bring it back to that hip, hip, a hip, hippity hop factor <laughs> that they're trying to keep this feeling like super fresh. I was honestly trying to like quote a song. Isn't there like a hip? Hop, a hip. That's what I was trying to do, but I just said yeah, hip, hip, hip a lot. Anyway, it's okay. um, I got there. Thank you. I 
appreciate that. Sorry to slow us down. Uh, the script was actually written by this guy named Dan Fogelman, and I don't expect you to know who that is, but what is truly interesting or kind of serendipitous is that he is the guy who went on to write for This Is Us, you know, that family drama that Mandy mm-hmm. Moore stars in. So, like, this was kind of the beginning of their working relationship, so I wonder That's if... Cute. Yeah, right? It's cute. Like, again, mm-hmm. Curb's having another somewhat interesting fact to add to this episode loving this living for this right yeah and I think the interesting thing with writers specifically on animation projects and this is actually similar to tv shows is the script is like constantly being rewritten and they're um the actors are constantly coming in to redo lines and stuff like that so it wasn't just like Fogelman wrote the script and then like Mandy Moore went in and did it and they didn't have any contact like it would have been Mm -hmm. an overlapping uh developing process as things moved through this this movie so I think that's an interesting piece because television works very similarly so that's cool yeah it's scripts are definitely like a living breathing part of Mm -hmm. the filmmaking process in animation when you have actors coming in to like do voiceovers um Mm -hmm. so yeah like he would have gotten a great sense of who she is as an actress and as a person on this movie and from the very beginning there was a lot of kind of back and forth on what to do with this because they want to get it right so for starters originally it was called Rapunzel Unbraided which this just screams lions to me it's just not a good (laughs) title and the only reason I mean it's a bad reason but they should have changed it just because it was bad but the reason they changed it to Tangled was because they were still aware of those quote-unquote girl problems that films Mm -hmm. like Princess and the Frog seem to come up again uh, against, I mean, when they were being released, and I have here in my notes hashtag Katzenberg blunders because <laughs> that's he's always the one who's like, oh no, like girls or guys won't like it because it's yeah. named this. Like yeah. Jeffrey, sit down and keep your mouth shut. But they they wanted to change it as well to make it more of an illusion to describe like Rapunzel's relationship with Flynn because again, it wasn't just Rapunzel's story. So I exactly. I will give them yeah. that that's a valid reason to change it. It's not a valid reason to say that boys won't like this if it's called Rapunzel and Braided, but you know, they yeah. they did this in 2007, not 2021, so I guess they had a ways to go in terms of <laughs> to yeah, seriously. What's appropriate and not appropriate for boys and girls. Um But as you mentioned before, this story is really simple. Everyone knows it, right? There's a lost princess, and then this unsuspecting friendship turns into romance, which we all saw coming a mile away. There's an angry (laughs) mom. There's some magic in there. There's a reunion. And it was largely based on an 1812 German fairy tale by the Brothers Grimm. And again, like we've all heard this story in some regard at some point in Mm -hmm. our lives. I I never knew all the details of Rapunzel, but I knew she had long hair and a boy climbed it. That was kind of yeah, you know the like Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair, like you right. Know. I I feel I said it to myself because there's no one to say it to me. But when I had yeah. long hair, like <laughs> I did, I do remember the one time I think, man, I was an adult when I did this. But my hair was still really long, and I owned my first bought my car. The one day I was waiting for one of my friends like after work, and I think I just like threw my hair out the car window and was like, wow, this really isn't even that long. But then I also <laughs> thought about what it would feel like if someone was to climb up it, and I'm like, no, nah, that's not for me. Like, yeah, it's no, not, it's not gonna work. Too heavy. But the original story of Rapunzel can actually go back all the way to the 11th century. And it was originally a Persian mythological tale of two people named Zal and Rudabe or Rudaba. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing it incorrectly. So this story has deep roots, pun intended, roots like hair. Mm-hmm. So this, this meant that Disney had a lot of freedom to keep their classic Disney spirit without being dragged down by any other elements that didn't serve their purpose. So because the story is quite simple, you don't have anything like an army, like Mulan, you know, you have the Hun army. That's a big deal. You kind of have to figure out how you're going to deal with that. And there's not really any concepts either of controlling kings, queens, royalty. Like that's not a thing here. The royalty part Mm -hmm. matters because it's who she is, but the king and queen aren't like, you know, terrorizing their kingdom or anything. They don't even speak. So. Right. They're kind of props more than anything. Yeah. So as a result, the characters take center stage and they have way more room to be fleshed out and made relevant to the time. Hashtag hippity hop. So the main problem became how to keep Rapunzel's motivation going after she left the tower, because by that point, technically she got what she needed, right? Like her whole thing from the beginning is I want to see the floating lights. So that's when this guy named John Ripa, this an animator on the film, he was like, what if we make the goal not just getting out of her tower, but seeing the lanterns? 
And they're like, right. oh, that's interesting. This adds a new motivation now that mm-hmm. will carry us almost the, all the way through the film. Now it's totally. not just who's going to get her out of the tower. It's who's going to get her out and help her discover this other bigger dream. Mm-hmm. So with that kind of like dream goal perspective kind of vibe going on. It was more theme based than a lot of the movies we saw in the two thousands, um, which were very heavy handed. Like, again, I hate to yeah. talk about home on the range more than I have to, but like that <laughs> movie's plot is cows and an evil yodeler. Okay. Or we have Bolt, okay. where it's like this really complicated animal movie star plot. Miley Cyrus makes an appearance. We don't know why. Or then really? with treasure planet, you've got treasure Island going to space. Like it's just, it, the stories are just very like, like they don't even know how trying too hard honestly so hard like Like, there's just too much whereas in tangled it became clear that the story is really about selfishness versus selflessness and this kind of Mm -hmm. triumph over oppression and oppression could be anything it could be expectations placed on you it could be a person it could be um you know societal roles whatever it is and as a result the story started to feel richer and more similar to something like Princess and the Frog, right? Which had yeah. already set the stage for this new revival of Disney storytelling a year earlier. They have like a similar, very clear on what their goal and dream is, but yes. there's such different characters on how they go about it. And yes. I think it's just showing a similar thing, but for you know different personality types, different situations. And different audiences, you kind of, you, really. You tend to relate with one over the other, but I think it's, you know... I, I like that drive and I think that actually mm-hmm. really carries through into, you know, if you look at something like Moana or even um, even Frozen, it's like they're giving the female leads very specific goals, dreams, and they are the ones that are accomplishing them and yes. working to do what they need to do for them. So I think yeah. that's really cool. I was going to say like they have ambition like there's it's not just an empty like empty headed kind of you know dream it's not Mm -hmm. a fantasy it's a stronger desire than that it's a desire that prompts them to action which makes them just feel so much more real than a character like Cinderella who might have a beautiful story and it's lovely to escape into but like how can I see myself in someone like that like how yeah how can I as a you know, young woman living in 2021, how does that resonate with me? It really doesn't. And I think you were hitting the nail on the head there with how Tiana and Rapunzel are similar, but very different. I mean, that's a, that's the reason that you and I, when we talk about which princess we're most like, we kind of get stuck between those two. We often waffle mm-hmm. between yeah. which one we're most like, because they are so different and yet so, so similar. But what I found really interesting looking at, I love researching for this podcast list because we find so many people who we just disagree with online. Yeah. I think what, what I find so funny is how many people out there are like, I love Disney, but there are so many problems. And I'm not even talking about the real problems, like, you know, representation or cultural appropriation. I'm talking about people who are like, uh, tangled is full of plot holes and I want to yell about it from the rooftops. Like I found there's a surprisingly oh large community of people that just like to point out plot holes. Now I would like to share some of them because they are relevant, but also just like wait, it's like these people are missing the point of what a fairy tale is. So for example, um, why isn't her hair dirty after dragging on the ground? Who cares? (laughs) Or, or, um, how does Flynn's brain work after he's been bludgeoned so many times? (laughs) Like these are, these are questions people actually are asking. How did Rapunzel and Flynn survive underwater so long? Why why did Gothel leave Rapunzel alone when she clearly wants to leave the tower? Like, I think it's these are all relevant and like legitimate questions, but also kind of like you're missing the point of what this story is. Well, do you know is. what like, opens the door to this is the fact that mm. it's CG animation because people don't call out plot holes like that in the 2D space it's as true. much. They kind of just mm-hmm. accept it because it doesn't resemble the real world they're like i'm watching something that's like not supposed to be real but when you bring it into a cg environment and it's like oh that water looks real these people look real that changes it and that's when we get into rabbit holes like this well and you know i actually never thought about that but that is true like i think it calls attention to some of these it's that uncanny valley thing right? Mm-hmm. Where it's kind of like, if it's too realistic, it's creepy and weird. But if it's like yeah. just that right amount in the middle, you're willing to let it sit there. So it sounds like some people almost are like rocking back and forth in this uncanny valley. 
where they're like, I'm willing to accept that her hair glows when she sings, but not the fact that she could hold her breath underwater, which of course is just like so funny to me. It just makes no sense. Yeah, I love people. people. This is why I'm saying I love preparing (laughs) for these because it's like, if it's not Beauty and the Beast wormhole theories or like alternate Mm -hmm. realities, it's plot holes entangled, honestly. Where do people come up with this stuff? So let's move on to the soundtrack, which I know you're going to get some flack, I think, because this is not you're not overly excited about this soundtrack. You don't love it. No, I mean, I enjoy the songs in the movie. I think they fit and they add to the story and that's nice, Mm -hmm. but I, I don't love them. They're not like, maybe some of them are on the Spotify playlist, but I skip them every single time. Like they're just not to me, great jams. They kind of are like, okay in the movie, but without the movie, I'm not, yeah, you're not fussed about yeah. it. Well, I think no. a lot of that comes from the fact that these songs, like I'm a lyrics person. I always hear lyrics, even the first time I'm listening to mm-hmm. a song. Me too. It resonates yeah. with me. Yeah. And these songs are just not that engaging lyrically. They're not overly That's clever. They're not overly um, involved as far as like storytelling goes. Like, I don't think that the song necessarily tells me more about the characters, unlike, you know, a part of your world moment. Or mm-hmm. even like, uh, you know, the mob song in Beauty and the Beast, right? We're like, we're we're being moved forward in the plot. We're not standing in the moment. This, these songs all were written as a true musical comedy. So it's almost mm-hmm. like the action stops for the five minutes that the song is happening. And then we continue on. It's not really... I think the only exception is um, her like opening song where she's introducing us to her, her world, her dreams, and we kind of get a glimpse of who she is, our Mm -hmm. heroine anthem, as we like to say. But um, other than that, yeah, I completely agree with you. And I never thought about it that way. They are just little musical numbers within. They're not your Howard and uh, Alan, you know, driving the plot kind of songs yeah we were used to in the renaissance i would describe them as snow globe moments right like it's Mm -hmm. almost like they exist on their own if we took the songs out i would still understand everything i need to know about these characters in the plot without needing anything else whereas true some of those earlier alan and howard masterpieces if you take the songs out you are missing critical pieces and i'm sure there are people that disagree with me on this in terms of the tangled soundtrack but what i would argue actually is that the score is doing the heavy lifting of telling Mm, us more about the characters in this one and this is another menken triumph you know i love me some alan menken (laughs) he was invited back after being passed over for princess and the frog and he had just finished working on enchanted which you know, if you guys have not seen Enchanted, highly recommend it. it is a lovely, fun mm-hmm. little fairy tale romp. So he was brought back to do the score. And man, Home on the Range is coming up so much. The guy he worked with <laughs> as his lyricist is named Glenn Slater, and they work together on Home on the Range. And I hate that Alan did Home on the Range. Like, it actually makes me yeah oh so upset but let's not talk about that i mean you know what the only reason he did home on the range is because he was passed over for princess and the frog i'm gonna stand by that until the day i die they're like you know what randy newman's gonna do princess and the frog so you've got some free time and alan's like i don't like free time idle hands are the devil's playground or whatever so i guess i'll do this home on the range movie and then make a broadway adaptation Uh. of the little mermaid and then we'll come timeline (laughs) for that just does not check out at all but I'll just we'll I, just say that's what happened. We're going to say that because I can't have Alan choosing <laughs> home on the range. Like I just I can't. Yeah, so yeah. so he brings he brings Glenn in. He's like, Glenn, it wasn't so hot on home on the range, but let's give it another go. And mm-hmm. the main inspiration for the score was Rapunzel's long hair and the freedom that she wanted. This is what Alan said. He's like, this is what mm-hmm. I was thinking about when I composed this score. And he took a lot of inspiration from 60s folk rock, in particular Joni Mitchell. And again, another Curbs fun fact, Mandy Moore's audition song for this movie was a Joni Mitchell song. So it's another weird moment of serendipity. Yeah. Yeah. Which like no one could have planned that. It just happened. You know, pieces falling into place. And Mencken really drew on his experience writing ballads for films like Beauty and the Beast and the Little Mermaid. And again, like 
Team Howard and Allen, right? So mm-hmm. he thought back to some of those earlier projects that he worked on and drew inspiration for his score from there. So these songs, once again, became very instrumental, pun intended, in helping the writers mm-hmm. find the characters. So for example, Mandy Moore and Zachary Levi first sang I See the Light live on a soundstage with a 65-piece orchestra to give everyone a sense of the love scene before recording clearer versions of their vocals. And um, so like it was basically like before we actually get this cleaned up and really dive into it, this is what this should feel like. Like this is the goal. This is what we're getting to. And they also brought back that idea of using a recurring musical motif. So if you remember like in Pocahontas, it's that listen with your heart melody and Hunchback of Notre Dame. It's the bells of Notre Dame. And in this one, it was the healing incantation. Alan was like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to weave this into everything. Uh, And speaking of... Bells of Notre Dame, Mencken was also really heavily inspired by the work he did at Hunchback of Notre Dame because he's like Rapunzel and Quasimodo are very, very similar characters. They're literally both trapped in towers and want to explore the world. So they're kind of the same. And you know, you're a boss when you are inspired by your own work, you know? Yes. That's like, that's like boss level 100. I, man. Alan Menken, if you're listening to this, yeah. I could kiss you. You're such a genius. You beautiful <laughs> man, you. Um, but, but yeah, he he was trying to write When Will My Life Begin, which is that song you referred to earlier, Rapunzel's kind of like get to know me song, you know, mm-hmm. heroin anthem yeah. type vibe. And it was, as always, the first song he wrote. And he went through six different iterations for this one because he knew he wanted to move the plot forward, which is why mm-hmm. it ultimately ends in a question of her future and what she's going to do about it. But When he was thinking about Quasimodo and Rapunzel, he said um, that Quasimodo is someone who looks out from the bell tower in his song out there and knows what he wants, but Rapunzel is not sure. She's afraid. So as an audience, he wanted the audience to hear this song and want that dream for her. And I think he really achieved that because every time I hear that song, especially at the end when she gets into that like, tomorrow night lights will appear, right? And it gets like really soft and quiet. Oh my Mm -hmm. goodness. My uh, yeah. my heart always like I don't know I I feel it so deeply I can like feel her earnest longing but also like that little bit of fear oh it's just so good like I know that the songs aren't as good in this movie as other ones but Alan just oh doing it again always does it for me so I know that you love Gothel and I know you're gonna talk about mm-hmm. her a little bit later on but. One thing I thought you might enjoy knowing about her in particular, because I know her mother knows the best song. Whenever we've watched that movie together, you really seem to enjoy it. It's a great sequence. It's that is my that is my favorite song, specifically the reprise. I will say oh, I yeah. don't skip the reprise when it comes on. So that that is the it is really good. Yeah, it is amazing. Yeah. And that song, so both the like the main song and then the reprise mm-hmm. was actually a request from the directors. So Byron and Nathan specifically came to Alan and were like, hey, Alan, we would really love a big dramatic theatrical villain number. And he's like, I can obviously deliver that. Like, not a question. Mm -hmm. Perfect blend of humor and darkness. There's two more pieces of music that I really feel I must address because I would not be doing Alan Menken a favor. I would be doing him a disservice, quite honestly, if I didn't mention them. And I think everyone knows what song I'm going to say. It's I See the Light. It's understandably the piece of music that Alan is most proud of from this soundtrack. Alish, I know it's not Mm -hmm. your favorite love theme. I know that it's very sappy. It's very like if a walk to remember was a Disney love song, it would be this Mm -hmm. one. But there's something that's so dreamy and romantic about it and the harmonies, the beautiful scenes. It's just so stunning. And I cried when I watched it in the theater. My mom and I, we both like looked at each other when this was happening and we were both just like tears glistening and like running down the cheeks. It's so beautiful. And then the other piece of music that goes hand in hand is Waiting for the Lights, which is my favorite piece of score ever from any Disney Mm -hmm. movie. I will. Wow. No, that's too big a statement. I'm walking it back. I feel like you've said that a few times before. I know. (laughs) I often have to walk it back when it comes to music because there's just too much. Waiting for the lights is when she gets her dream, falls in love with Flynn, and like they don't gloss over the difficulties of like, you know, her parents and their grief. Like there's so much that's covered in these pieces of music, which is why I said earlier that I think the score is what introduces us to characters. It's that's what creates the moments where we get to just see them being and existing and like 
you know, just, oh my goodness, just, it's, it's so good. Let us move on though. One of the most ironic things I think about kind of your issues and my issues and everybody's issues with the soundtrack and how it maybe wasn't the strongest is that the soundtrack was one of the ways that they determined who should be acting in the film. So in the past, you know, we've, I think we've mentioned this in some of our other princess episodes, but a lot of the princess voice actors didn't actually do the singing right so like we have Mm -hmm. judy coon singing for pocahontas but we have like you know irene bedard doing the speaking voice so there was a disconnect for a very very long time between who they were casting and what they were actually able to do and this movie was one where every actor who auditioned for the role we didn't care who you were they were required to perform a song as well because i was gonna say when you said that mandy moore auditioned with the song i was like we're talking about (laughs) someone who like has albums out like just go like you know Play well, Cry. And <laughs> but how long yeah. ago was Cry? Mandy Moore is, of course, like like you said, she's already a recording artist. In one On one hand, she shouldn't have to audition, but they wanted to make sure that everyone who auditioned was actually giving them the real kind of gist of what they would bring to the character, not just that they're capable of singing. So it was that combination of like read the lines and sing a song. So Mandy Moore fulfilled her lifelong dream of being in a Disney movie by getting cash. She beat out a whole lot of people, including Kristen Chenoweth and Kristen Bell and Idina Menzel, actually. They both auditioned for the part of Rapunzel and didn't get it and went on to be in Frozen. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, Mandy Moore is perfect. Like she absolutely like was great for this role. And I don't know if it was on purpose to like, call back the millennials but like I was a huge Mandy Moore fan like growing (laughs) up and with you know walk to remember princess diaries like I had the cd and so like seeing that she was in this was actually an appeal for me so I don't know if that was something they thought of if they knew that about you know this young 20 something girls I (laughs) man I I feel like my world has been rocked. I would never have pictured you as a Mandy Moore fan. And I know that nothing should surprise me anymore about stuff like that because, you know, what happened when we were 13 stays when we were 13. But I just yeah. I'm, I'm having a tough time reconciling who I know you to be now with liking Mandy Moore because I feel like you give me a lot of flack for like my taste in that category. So just saying. Just want to put that out there for yeah, the people. Yeah, I mean, I, but, we were, what, young young tweens when A Walk to Remember came out? So Yeah, yeah. We were like 11 or 12. Love it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who doesn't love it? But while there were a lot of women auditioning for the role of Rapunzel and, you know, they had to really think about, like, what did they want her to sound like and want her to be like, Zachary Levi mm-hmm. was apparently the obvious choice to casting directors from the very beginning. He had originally auditioned for the role of Flynn with a British accent. And then he got the role and then they were like, can you drop the accent? Because your American one is actually like so much better <laughs> for what we want to do so with this when character. when you say he was the obvious choice, did they pursue him based on like Chuck or he auditioned and they were like, yes. He strikes me as the type of actor who would have auditioned for this and he mm-hmm. was not quite big enough that Disney would necessarily be like, Chuck. Like, That's what I thought. When- yeah. Also with – animating it i mean i know they were very sure with zachary levi but when it Mm -hmm. came to finding the right look for him that took a lot more iterations on the animation side so much so that glenn keen his daughter claire a bunch of other animators had all been like drawing up different versions of flynn and they actually had this hot guy meeting where they brought (laughs) in a bunch of the girls from disney studios and just Pouring over oh all goodness. these different versions of Flynn to pick oh. what's our hot version. <laughs> this this is a dream come true to me. This is the mm-hmm, type of meeting right? that I would circle three times in my planner and be like, I'm going. Yeah. Like, and if time. I had a time machine, I'd relive it again and again because like what what a treat to just be asked like what's hot about this. But I'm also picturing Glenn in like a dark room with one lamp feverishly scribbling pictures of Flynn and then yeah. going, not hot enough, like, like yeah. crumbling them up, throwing them away. The directors I saw said, like, it's uh, very telling to hear, like, what features women consider hot and then hard not to internalize some of that. Oh, yeah. Compare with yourself to be in that room and be like, 
oh, like, I don't like brown eyes. And then you're like, oh, well, I have brown eyes and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I had to be some very secure men to be in that room, I think. Well, they were really committed. I mean, the hot man meeting is evidence of this, but they were really committed to getting the exact feel for Rapunzel and Flynn in particular. So, I mean, some of the things I read says that they had Zachary Levi and Mandy Moore run on the spot when they were filming those action scenes, like at the dam, so that they would sound breathless instead of like trying to act breathless. It's like, let's just get you breathless, Mm -hmm. which I thought was kind of interesting. And they, you know, classic Disney, they were interviewing and filming the actors throughout the process of recording so that they could have a lot of reference footage in terms of gestures and like small little motions like that. And what I think is most shocking about these performances is that neither... Levi or Moore were happy with their performance. A- after all was said and done, when they watched the film, oh. they're like, I don't like it. I could have done better. Really? Which I think which I think is yeah. very interesting because we both agree that they're fantastic. Like yeah. we love it. I yeah. love them. Yeah. They're like, they're the best part of the movie for me. Now I gotta ask you, do you like Pascal? Mm-hmm. You a fan of Pascal? Eh. Right? Honestly, honestly, to me, this one, the sidekicks, they don't say anything. They kind of mm-hmm. serve their purpose. They're kind of like the Pocahontas sidekicks, honestly, where yeah. they're they're cute. They have a few humorous moments, but they're just kind of there. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's the exact reason that he originally wasn't included in early versions of the story, because animal mm-hmm. sidekicks are starting to feel tired and predictable. They're yeah. not really adding anything. But ultimately, they decided to include him because Rapunzel needed someone to talk to in her tower. Yeah, for sure. Makes sense. Now, do you want to talk about Gothel a little bit? Because again, we know Would you love her. I'd love to talk about Gothel. I think she's a very interesting villain. And I think how she came to be is interesting because they they struggled at the beginning, especially when they got the original stuff that Glenn had been working on and her mm-hmm. looking too evil off the bat. I think the problem is if you make her so, I mean, we know she's bad because we get that, yes. um, you know, beginning part where like she stole the child and we saw all that. <laughs> we get that. She stole a baby. Yeah. yeah. To come in from where Rapunzel's at, if you've got this like pure evil person that's, treat, you know, torturing her and just like being like really brutal to her so overtly, then Rapunzel looks really dumb. Mm-hmm. For not point. leaving sooner or, mm-hmm. you know, not being aware of that. So you have to have her be this really manipulative, narcissist, gaslighting villain mm-hmm. so that it's not super obvious. And she does nice things for her. Like she makes the food that she likes and she gets her like, you know, the drawing stuff. And like she she does these things to kind of keep Rapunzel happy in her ignorance and like Mm -hmm. watching that honestly is so dark and so scary because it's just like again like we've talked about with some of the past villains like there's people like that that exist in the world that she's not so you know like you can actually tell like she she was like a beautiful woman and she's kind of like hanging on to that she's got some like evil queenness to her before she turns into the old hag Yeah, well, and it's another allusion as well to that, like to the Hunchback of Notre Dame, right? Like she Mm -hmm. is the Frollo to Rapunzel's Quasimodo. Yeah, It's a very similar relationship and it's super complicated. Like Mm -hmm. those two villain relationships, like villain hero dynamics between Frollo and Quasi and then Punzi and Gothel, they're like the Mm -hmm. most complicated that you get between a villain and a hero. And and you can see it in both of their... I think there's like a similar moment in Hunchback when Frollo falls and Quasimodo Mm -hmm. wants to save him. Same with Rapunzel. Like when uh, Gothel like falls, she does the reach and it's the same thing till the end. They deeply, twistedly care about this person in a weird way. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is so creepy in like a a new form. So yes. Well, and I've read a lot of articles over the years about observations on Gothel as a villain and kind of like how she acts towards Rapunzel. And mm-hmm. what you said is true. Like she does a lot of nice things for her. But one of the most interesting articles was talking about how like when you watch the film through this lens, you see that all of her affection is directed at Rapunzel's hair 
and not Rapunzel mm. herself. Yeah. So yeah. when you watch the movie with that in mind, you see it. Like it's like when she goes to kiss Rapunzel on the forehead, she tilts her head down and kisses the hair. She's always like mm-hmm. petting the hair. She's always like if she asks if she's okay, she like runs her hand through the hair. Like everything is about the hair, which makes it mm-hmm. even scarier. Like it makes it yeah. even more like nauseating quite honestly yeah. it's it's really intense without it being yeah. outrightly like outrightly listen without being a, like automatically or immediately scary right yeah. like a kid a kid's not going to pick up on that necessarily but when you watch it through that lens as an adult you're like yikes like yeah whoa because the the scariest villains are the ones that you don't really see coming mm. right yeah so it's just like yeah, but I think they did a really good job of making her bad in a way that we, the audience, can recognize it. I think even mm-hmm. as a kid, you're going to, like, pick up that, oh, like, this is the bad lady. And when she says, oh, now I'm the bad guy, brilliant. Yes. I yes. love it. I love that line. So good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I mean – we just took this into a very, very dark place when we were saying earlier that this film is a bright, colorful place to be. So, But that's why they had to make it so bright and colorful is I to know. offset the the dark story that it really is of it's true. this lady that kidnapped a baby. So <laughs> Curbs, let's talk about let's talk about the hair because there's a Ooh. lot of hair in this movie. I don't know if you that's noticed. That's a lot, there's a lot there's of a hair. Lot. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. How, how was that ruffian voice? It was pretty good. It was good. Yeah, you you nailed it. 10 out of 10. Thank you. Um, So interestingly enough, we had – they basically had a team of people working on the hair. And this is the first time in CG animation that they put together a hair simulator, which is basically going to allow them to animate and manipulate the hair and – be able to kind of instruct and command it on what to do. Obviously, they're ironing out a lot of kinks with this. Brushing out the knots, you might say. Yes. <laughs> Great pun. I just don't want your dad to tell us we missed a pun again. I'm really just trying to yes. get them all in. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Make sure you yeah. get them. He'll appreciate mm-hmm. it. There's a lot of ways that hair like this can go really brutally wrong. And there's this mm-hmm. uh, lead hair simulator. Her name's Kelly Ward Hamill, and she was actually finishing her PhD in computer animated hair um, around the time Amazing. that they were starting this. So she heard that they were making Rapunzel, and she's like, "Well, that's perfect. Like, that's the project for me." So she came on board Disney and worked with the team to develop this uh really like brand new technology so like if Mm -hmm. you think about it like something like brave that's not come out yet so like we're not we're not quite there in the cg world and right the the things that they did in this movie were instrumental for all of the movies coming down the pipe that really relied on that technology Mm -hmm. they actually won a sci-tech award which is like a technology division of the oscars this Ooh. year for their like 2021 they won for the development that they did on Tangled. Both of the Tangled teams and the teams that worked on Pixar at Brave won and there were three women on those teams and only 20 women total since the 1960s have won SciTech awards, which is crazy That's because insane. like like 20 to 30 people win that a year and it's just like the biggest boys club ever. So I think well, it's really cool that this was pioneered by a couple of women so props to them and I mean this is just a another example of how industries like animation and entertainment in general are still so run by men instead of women Mm because remember when we talked in Snow White about like the ink and paint team how like the easiest jobs were the only ones women could get right like I mean I think it's amazing that this software was pioneered by women not just because like you know it's cool because we're all women but it's like just putting putting women at the forefront of some of these advancements in an Mm -hmm. industry that has been like you said such a big boys club like that's so exciting to me yeah it's about time (laughs) yes about time and um yeah I mean I think this was like the perfect movie obviously to bring something like that out there was a lot Mm -hmm. of challenges with the hair you kind of called out in uh some of the plot hole complaints that people had online obviously like she's got 70 feet of hair they can't animate that realistically because nobody can walk 
or hold up that much hair. Like that's yeah. going to weigh like what, like 40 pounds. So it's like easily there, be, there had to be an element like elements of l- making the hair look weighted and making sure mm-hmm. that it flowed properly, but also like she had to be able to hold it up. So they had to, they actually had to like backtrack on the software a little bit to, you know, trick it to not actually show the full weight of the hundred thousand plus strands of hair that were on the Man, when you talk about how much it would weigh, it just makes me think like I did all of my Rapunzel content wrong when I had my Disney princess fitness Instagram. Like it should have just been (laughs) her with like a weird neck, like head thing on and doing like neck raises. Yes. Really? Yeah. She should have like the strongest shoulders ever. Ah, like she's your shoulder. Her traps girl. are crazy. Yeah. Just yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, we we talked a lot about 2D animation and Princess and the Frog and why that was the right choice. And I really feel similarly for Tangled that because of the hair, mm-hmm. CG was absolutely the right choice because it just wouldn't have had the same visual appeal in the 2D animation space. And it's just so, so beautiful with it in, in CG. So I agree. As sad as I am to see 2D no more, um, I think it was definitely the right choice for this film particularly. All right, Lish. So let's let's wrap up our comprehensive discussion of Tangled with a little bit of information or an overview of the impact of the film. So we've already mentioned quite a few times in both this episode and others that There was a lot of disappointment in the 2000s, particularly for Mm -hmm. people like us millennials who had grown up with such a strong showing of Disney films in the 1990s. We were used to a certain caliber and then it just wasn't there anymore. So when Tangled was announced, there were a lot of people our age, myself included, that was dismissing it before it even came out. And oh, yeah. Right, even like give it I, a second thought, honestly. No, Just- the term that a lot of animation kind of historians and critics from that time period have used to describe people like us would have been like anti-Walt films. So, like those that two thousands era of Disney, mm-hmm. a lot of people are describing as anti-Walt because like it didn't have the storytelling chops, it wasn't engaging, nothing about it was magical. It was just kind of work to get through. And because these films had been so far removed from the original spirit and heart of Disney films, people were just really uneasy about another CG disaster. They're like, this is going to be Mm -hmm. so bad. So, and like Disney did themselves no favors. Like their marketing campaigns made the film look weaker than it was. They really undersold the heartfelt fairy tale elements that Glenn and John Lasseter had like Mm -hmm. talked about, like kind of like being the heart and soul of the film. And they really played up the pop culture bit. Like they really went hard on the hip factor. Yeah. Hip, hop, a hip. They really, and I remember (laughs) that. I remember it being like, really contemporary music and like really snarky kind of animations of like Flynn and Rapunzel. And like, well, I remember just seeing posters and really like playing up the Mandy Moore, Zach Levi part of it yes. where it's like, yeah. Oh, these are like people that like the youths will know like who they are. And you know, just mm-hmm. like that for the first time was something that they were actually advertising yes. and pushing. Yes. And you know what? In retrospect now, loving the film the way that I do, that would now sell the movie to me. But at the time, mm-hmm. because it was a yeah. new way of going about it, it just felt as heavy handed as some of the stories from the 2000s. Like, like it just felt very like we made movie watch now it good. Like what, like well, what, what the reality is Disney had been so unauthentic to its own mm-hmm. self and its culture and its history for years we didn't trust it. And yes. Princess and the Frog was a step in the right direction, but we weren't all the way back just on that one movie. Like the, yep. the trust and the faith was still gone. Well, I mean, for all of the kind of hokey pokey, oaky smoky, whatever advertising they did for the film, it became one of the biggest financial and critical successes since the Renaissance. This movie, mm-hmm. even when competing with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows Part 1, it was extremely well-received and did really well mm-hmm. in theaters. Like, the slapstick humor elements, the clever dialogue, all those things made it really hard for young adults and adults in general to resist. And it brought a lot of mm-hmm. former fans, yeah. us included, kind of back to the Disney fold, right? Like, it reestablished that magic of Disney. And, I mean, the fact that they had a budget of $260 million meant that it was one of the most expensive animated films, but it also better be magical. If you're paying that much money to make this movie, it better be good. And oh, 
she be good. It great. I would even say great. <laughs> also, w- yeah. one more thing. Sorry on the advertising note. This is the fiftieth, the fiftieth yes. animated feature to come out of Disney. We haven't mentioned oh my gosh. that yet. How did we wait until this point to mention? <laughs> Honestly, it's hilarious because it's my first bullet point, but I just skipped right by it for. Some yeah, just reason. decide it's not the to first say it. thing yeah. on the document. If Disney screwed up their fiftieth, like, okay, there'll be no fifty-first. Like, I, yeah. you know what I mean. So I, well, but True. seriously, like for me. For me as a consumer, if they had mucked this up, I don't know if I would have cared. Like, I would just live in the 90s mm-hmm. renaissance forever. Like, I just, I would have been like, okay, so Disney sucks now, but these were great. So I'll just watch those. Yeah, true. So they really, true. they set the bar high. And I mean, we both agree they jumped over it. But even with all of the success, it was not nominated for Best Animated Film, which is crazy. Also, I forget exactly what they were, but there was only three films nominated in the animation category. That and year. not so not only not only did it like not get nominated but like like nothing. They chose to nominate nothing instead of Tangled. Oh. That's yeah, that's and that's nuts. You know what? I honestly think that speaks more to Disney's current reputation mm-hmm. than it does anything else because you know yep. Academy Awards it's like all political yep. and all that. And so I think because you know, Pixar is the one that's on a roll. They're going to put the Pixar movies in there. And yeah, just Disney's not even on any, anyone's radar. Yeah. At this point, I mean, so. Tangled changed that, of course, like moving totally. forward now. Like yeah. you have a Disney movie nominated for that category like every year that there is a new feature. It film. honestly and doesn't I mean, even matter if it's good. It's going to get no, nominated. now. It's going to get nominated so. because people trust it again. And yeah. that trust piece is what was missing. Right. Like you hit the exactly. nail on the head when you said that we we as fans were missing the confidence that Disney could deliver something we love. And I mean, Tangled is now what, 11 years old and the franchise Mm -hmm. has been so incredibly well received and extremely successful. Like they made a couple different animated shorts. They made a straight to TV movie called Tangled before ever after they have the TV Mm -hmm. series Rapunzel Mm, continues to be a perennial fave. Like everyone loves meeting her at princess fairy tale hall. Like when I, when I was there right for my summer and even when I've gone back since, right. She always has such a long line. Always, always, always. Mm-hmm. Like, she is just one of those that everyone's obsessed with. She has her own float in the Festival of Fantasy Parade at Magic Kingdom. So Flynn's mm-hmm. on there. You've got ruffians yeah. swinging around. She's got her frying pan. Like, a, you know, I get emotional. And then we have now that mm-hmm. new section of Fantasyland with her tower and the lantern bathroom. Oh, my goodness. Who knew that a bathroom Stunning. would be a place to take photos? Truly. Stunning. Though. It's yeah. gorgeous. In closing, I think we can both agree that Rapunzel is one of those that reestablished trust with a lost generation of Disney fans, but also she continued to carve that new definition of what a princess is, right? Like it feels mm-hmm. with a, feels like a fairy tale without being archaic. There's a lot of emphasis on ambition and starting life on your terms and learning to trust people and selflessness. She defies that damsel in distress trope. Once again, like that hair swing over the dam. Yeah. I've mentioned it so many times, but like, hello, she has hobbies, interests, and goals outside of a relationship. She's got like, and this film had more women involved at every stage of production which is also incredible. Like you can't, you can't have more women involved and not have a more empowered heroine. And like, finally, you know, the love interest was a small, small bit. Like really Flynn was more of a partner in crime and a friend that became a romantic interest. And that just really proves that princesses, they're not just for little girls, you know, Disney stepped it up. They created a princess film that had action. It had some intense scenes. Like it was just way more appealing to all demographics of viewers. And I think that makes Tangled, one hell of a film. All right, everybody. Now is the time that we apologize for, atone for, and generally confess things that we are ashamed of in the episode. And for me, it is by far the fact that I brought up Home on the Range approximately 1,086 times. And considering I hate that movie with a burning passion and blame it for everything that's ever gone wrong at the Disney company, it is inexcusable that I brought it up so many times and subjected you to potentially horrible nightmares and memories from watching that film yourself. So I am sorry for putting you through that. And I am sorry for bringing it up again now. It's too many times, Curbs. Too many. It really is. I'm so sorry. 
I, on the other hand, am sorry for being a little bit too obsessed with Mandy Moore. That is definitely a part of me that was buried deep within that I kind of forgot about. And you know what, Curbs? I'm particularly sorry for hiding that part of my life from you. It was not intentional. Oh, goodness, yeah. But I'm glad that I got to share it with you now. You played it so close to the chest for so many years. It truly shocked me when you shared that earlier. So I honestly, I, I want to watch Walk to Remember tonight. Like, I'm just, I'm in the mood. <laughs> listen, I'm going to listen to Cry. Oh, goodness. Gonna, yeah. Cry yourself. Oh, beautiful. Mm -hmm, probably. A, a great idea. You should definitely do mm -hmm. it. And we want to mention some of the sources that we used. I mentioned earlier that I have the Art of Tangled book by Jeff Curdy. It's beautiful, it's fantastic, and I loved actually getting the chance to read it. I also watched the Imagining Disney's Tangled documentary, which honestly was not very good, but Mandy Moore was in it and she's super cute, so it's all fine. Definitely worth the time then, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I would also like to shout out a few specific sources that were super useful for me this week. One was an article called Here's Why Tangled is the Ultimate Disney Princess Movie by Max Nicholson for MTV. And also one called Celebrating 10 Years of Tangled, How Rapunzel Modernized the Disney Princess by a woman named Caitlin Nickel for Insider. Thank you for sharing your thoughts with us, guys. And as always, if you are looking for more shenanigans like these, which we know you are, please make sure to subscribe to the Scenario D podcast wherever you love to listen. And don't forget to catch us on Instagram at Scenario D Podcast. You are going to love the magic we're making there.